0: Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, i listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of... Breathing Space, Fading Frontier. A sci-fi western, Breathing Space, Fading Frontier is a collection of tales about our solar system reimagined as the Old West. It's an anthology of small personal stories of people living in a near-future solar system, written by a variety of authors in a shared and collaboratively built universe. The first episode, Goodnight, You Moonlight Ladies, follows a pair of vaqueros, asteroid miners, as they deal with rustlers who have come to take their hard-earned prize. Two of the show's development team, Lee Seguente, writer and showrunner, and Scott Paladin, writer, director, and actor, joined me remotely from their homes to discuss how this creative collective came about. Why don't each of you tell me a little bit about yourself as an artist or or creator?
1: We're going to let Lee go first.
2: Thanks. Okay. That's what you Um, get for the
1: title of showrunner.
2: okay. (laughs) Okay, I will accept this. I actually did not do any work in audio before a year and a half ago, ever. I didn't even listen to podcasts. So in about a year and a half, I went from writing fiction and I do a lot of game dev and that stuff into, I can probably write a script. How hard could it be into now there's two shows with multiple seasons? I have a degree in English creative writing. So I have been a novelist and like mostly short stories and like long form fiction. And I've done live action game dev where you actually put them on for people for years and years but never really translated that into anything other than long form fiction what attracted you to the creative arts when you were younger i can't not make stuff i very much suffer from that thing where there's a thing in my head and i need to put it down and make it do something but i've really enjoyed being on the internet with creative communities because that turns this i need to put this thing into existence and actually puts it somewhere to do something which is a big draw to be able to have somebody interact with that material, even if they never tell me about it and just know it's there where they can look at it. Scott, what's your background? I am self-described serial obsessive. Um,
1: so I, <laughs> I tend to to move from subject to subject, becoming quite deep into uh, something for a few years and then moving on to something else. And so at the moment it's podcasting and I've been doing podcasts for About two and a half years at this point, but I've been telling stories in various ways since I was a little kid. So obviously I've been doing creative writing. I did amateur film stuff for a little while as well. And, you know, a a longtime role player and stuff. So um, that's kind of my creative background there. Did you study creative arts? (laughs) No, I got the most useful degree of all history with a minor (laughs) in classics. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, that's awesome.
2: I didn't know that. That's cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, that hasn't been, uh, I haven't put that to the test at all. Yeah. So not, not, not creatively trained, although I did do There was a, um, a nerd summer camp called, called advance, uh, where I did three years of amateur film studies, which was really good. That was actually, I learned more during that nerd summer camp than I did during all of college. Probably.
0: Why don't you run down briefly what each of you does on the show? You go ahead first. This is your turn.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. So I'm one of the, do all the thingers people. I myself am a writer. I've done, I've directed episodes. I have acted both in ones that I wrote and uh, other people have written. I do editing for all of my own stuff and some other people's things. And then a whole host of other little jobs where like I've done some graphic design for the show and I help Lee run the Twitter and stuff like that. So yeah. Lee?
2: Yeah. uh, I primarily think of myself as a writer because that's what I do the most of, but I also handle kind of the coordination, admin, scheduling, making sure everybody's in the same place at the right time and has the right information. Um, and I do most of the website. Well, I do think I do all the website maintenance, but all the, mm-hmm. not all the copywriting and stuff. And I do some of the graphic work too.
1: We kind of share the responsibility of making sure that the universe stays consistent.
2: Yes. Them. Oh, I handle the documentation too. That's oh, the yeah, other you... big thing that I do is... Thank God. Yeah. I have a very, very extensive working the World Bible and then all of the other, here's a faction document, and then I have it all cross-linked with each other and alphabetized and referenceable by people.
0: Uh, Well, you know, I was looking over both of your websites and you both have a lot of projects. Lee, you've got tons of writing and then podcasting and uh, audio fiction. uh, Scott, you've got a bunch of cowboy stuff. You're doing readings
1: um, of classics.
0: What attracts you to doing so many different things? And this could be for both of you.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think Lee and I both suffer from the do all of the things uh, yeah, brain fog. Where, yeah, where we'll get an idea and just be like, "Well, there's nothing stopping me from doing this idea," <laughs> yes. so we'll just make it happen. And it's it's been especially useful with breathing space because we feed off of each other <laughs> in that way.
2: It's a little dangerous. Yeah,
1: there have been a couple of times where one of us <gasps> will have an idea, but like we'll be we'll be chatting on Discord. I'll be at work. And we'll be like chatting, chatting, chatting. It was like, oh, what about this? What if we did that? Okay. And then by the time I've gotten home from work, I have gotten the script written in my head, write it for 15 minutes. And then like that weekend we'll have an episode made <laughs> yeah. on a couple of yeah. for short stuff. And it's, it's, yeah, it's just a, like a, like a compulsion or a demon or something.
2: I, if I think too much, my anxiety spirals up real bad. So if mm. I can focus that anxiety into something mm. that's actually doing a thing that's productive, Plus, I don't know. I mean, it's there's something about creating fiction and, and making a thing that really does calm my brain down and my brain is a lot of stuff it needs to calm down from. So. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I sympathize. I, I struggle with anxiety a bit myself. And, um, you know, one of the things that my, my therapist and I have worked out is that anytime I feel like my brain's starting to get antsy or the negative talk is starting and things like that, um, just getting to work, you know,
2: mm. finding mm-hmm. something yeah. to
0: do to distract you from that stuff uh, seems
2: to help. I've really found that if I channel it into a creation, I can also tell myself to stop because there are stopping points. I can say, okay, I will write a hundred words. I will write a thousand, I'll write three pages. And then I have completed enough and I can be done and I'm not being lazy. And having those clear markers that creations have really helps me be able to stop when I need to. Yeah. How did you two meet? How did you start working together? (laughs) He wrote a space shanty and then I said, hey, anybody want to make space cowboys? And then we did. My perspective is that
1: I was uh, messing around on Twitter one night and it got a little bit of a response from my very small following. And the next day, Lee dragged me into a Discord uh, group chat with a bunch of other people and said, hey, you've inspired me to make a project. Let's make this project. And then from then, it's just been like hanging on like by the tips of my fingertips (laughs) as this thing kind of got away from us.
2: (laughs) It did a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the thing and was like, you know what? I'm already working on one scripted thing. What would a, a short story thing would be fun? And then I got really brave and reached out to all the cool kids that were on Twitter that I was terrified to talk to and pulled them all into a group chat and was terrified to start it. And then I guess they liked it because then most of those kids stuck around for at least a little while.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. So the, the actual, yeah. I did a Twitter thread at about 11 p.m. On a, on a weekday night. And I was like, you know what? There needs to be more sad cowboy songs set in space. If I did <laughs> that, it would be such and such and such. And then I wrote some lyrics, which I just kind of in my head, it was, just, it was off the cuff, did not expect it to be anything. And then while I was asleep, The person who ended up being our vocalist for the theme song just sat down in a room and made up a tune and sang it and posted it, and it was amazingly good. I played that on repeat for like
2: hours because it was so just beautiful and haunting, and I knew it needed to do something more than just be a yeah. It was beautiful.
1: So, so in a way, we ended up making a whole show just because we had a theme song and we needed a show (laughs) for the theme song to to Uh. exist for.
2: I ain't
0: got
1: no home to go to. Sell
3: but my stars will never leave me, even when I'm sold to hell. I was born under a blue sky, I
0: thought in the flag. When I'm gone, don't all me, cause my debts will drag me back. Tell me about this show. What is the genesis of Breathing Space, Fading Frontier? What does the show mean to each of you?
1: It's really this mishmash of both the the stories that we wanted to see in the world, Mm -hmm. and also a bunch of influences that coincidentally both Lee and I and some (laughs) of the other writers all had. Mm -hmm. That just kind of gets poured into a stew pot um, Mm. of things that we love, and we're just saying, "Hey, can we steal that? Can we just do that again, but better?"
2: (laughs) Uh, Basically, and and going from there. I do also feel like. There's a lot of wanting to tell what are people who are basically people are people and they always are people. Mm -hmm. What does that look like if you move it into this space? And how can you tell the same story that people are going to experience, but frame it in this completely different way? I really love the feeling of telling semi-universal human stories, but set space or whatever, and Mm -hmm. not shying away from the space element, but also not shying away from the people are people element. Why Westerns? There's a theme that runs through um,
1: all of season one and into season two about building communities Mm -hmm. and about communal responses and collective responses to systematic problems where this the cowboy of traditional fiction is this rugged individualist who doesn't need anybody else's help to then change that genre and take it and make it about communities and families and people building things instead of just running off into the into the wilderness, I think is a good rework of a genre that maybe, maybe we didn't completely agree with all of its politics kind of. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And coming back to my roots a little bit with like Little House on the Prairie and stuff, this concept of frontier being out on the edge where it's barely able to survive and you have to all create a community work together because if you don't, you're going to run out of air. And I love the feeling that Westerns give of that we are Mm. right at that edge of survivability and that's why we have to be together. And then we actually kind of like each other at the end.
0: Historically, the Western has always been kind of a, a tale of civilization versus individualism. I mean, there's obviously a parallel between the last frontier of space and the frontier of the West. And I get that. I think that's effective. How do you feel about reframing the the Western in a way that sort of takes away from that individualism?
2: We have a lot of characters that are individualists that come in that have these incredible strengths and this incredible damage that they're dragging around and letting them come in like that and then find a community that accepts that anyway is kind of both wish fulfillment and this hopeful story that I want to tell that you can be this person that is strong enough on your own, that can stand on your own, that is fucked up, but there are people that will accept you as that person. And that's the next step I want to see in that Western narrative is mm. the person come in and be accepted with everything that comes with that.
1: That's pretty much the theme overall is about people finding communities, people who don't think they deserve yeah. to find acceptance, yeah. finding it and having it. In fact, having <laughs> acceptance usually shoved on them unwillingly yeah. until they're dragged into some sort of found family.
0: That's a really interesting and very specific kind of aim. Where does that come from, from the two of you? Why is that your
1: focus? At least from my end, it's from you know feeling a, a, a sense of aloneness from you know a childhood where I grew up, you know not not having a lot of friends, not feeling like I fit in, and then in a, at, a, at various points in my life, yeah, finding places like that and how powerful that is to take somebody who feels alone and feels like they don't feels like oh maybe I just have to live with outside of things to have to be dragged into it. And said, no, you deserve love anyway. I mean, that's super powerful. So,
2: No, totally. I basically reinvented my entire existence about four years ago. I became just, for a variety of ways, left this past behind. But that left me with kind of not a lot of grounding and not a lot of community or family or anything. So that being able to write people finding that anyway, it's also helped. I mean, it sounds stupidly sappy, but like in creating this, I've kind of found that community too. And it's been really cool.
0: Your show is a anthology. Mm-hmm. So I was looking through, you've got a ton of people working on the show, writers and actors <laughs> and so, so forth. Um, uh, first of all, um, tell me why you wanted to write an anthology as opposed to, say, a longer single
2: narrative. I'd already done a long na- narrative. I wanted something different. I didn't want to make two of the same thing.
1: Right. And anthology gives us a chance to, because the, the, the point that we started, we didn't start with, the, with characters. We didn't start with story. We started with world. We said, what's right. this world? What is this place? Okay, well, it's our solar system. We're not going to leave the solar system. We have, it's a mm-hmm. technology has advanced to this place. People have moved here. Here are the things. Here's how society's changed. And because of that, we had this big canvas or this big painting that we wanted to show people of this world that we were creating. Anthology gives us the the freedom to just say, well, today we're going to pick up and we're going to listen. We're going to see the story of the Vaqueros. And tomorrow it'll be the, the Peregrination. And the day after that, it'll be you know, what's it like being a salvager? What's it like being a, you know, and we can tell tell all these different stories in this world and show different parts of it and use that as a lens to tell those stories. That's the, what's the reason why I've been able to write in it. If I'd been stuck with the same characters the whole time, I probably would have bowed out by now.
2: And short story is such an art form. It, it's hard to tell a good, tight short story, doubly hard if you're putting it on audio. And I like see, when, those, when a short story comes together, it is just the most satisfying thing to, read, to write, to experience, and I love that we have these satisfying blocks every couple of weeks that is this perfectly put together little story that shows this huge big world. It's a lot of fun. And getting to see everybody's take on it is great. How do you attract writers and how do y'all collaborate? First season was people that were in the group chat that, and I actually grabbed a couple of people. There's uh, Erica I know outside that, and then one of the writers, Michael, I know from my real world writing group, and I knew they would be pretty good fit. So I grabbed them and said they, they said they were willing to do it. Second season, we had already had a bunch of episodes out, so we put out sort of a, hey, you want to pitch us stories? Here's our rules. Here's what we need. And then we took, I think we got, I want to say, eight or nine different people with two or three pitches each that we had to kind of go through. And to be fair,
1: almost all of the people who did successful pitches, almost all of those were voice actors <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> who had been so. in season one. And yeah. so we really, we just lucked out in, in managing to uh, cast really creative people who then said, oh, this is a cool show. Could I write for it? And we said, well, here's the process. Yeah. Do you record asynchronously or?
2: Only asynchronously if we time? can't help it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Almost always synchronously. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's not always necessary, but it really it's helps nice. the performance yeah. if you can have people bouncing off each other. And that has been at times, I know Lee does most of the scheduling at this point and <laughs> yes. that is. A Herculean task that he managed <laughs> to do that. Um, sometimes it's been super easy. Like, you know, I had, we had an episode uh, last season where we had somebody in England, somebody in Australia and, and me and another yeah. actor in, in America. And that one was surprisingly easy to schedule wow. despite the fact that the, just because of the way the stars lined up, but yeah, we always, always syn- synchronously, we don't tend to collaborate
2: too much on the writing side either. It tends to be No, yeah. You write the episode, but then there's a lot of coming back in and saying, Okay, yeah. I need a space word for this or I need a space yeah, yeah. analogy for this that, yeah, yeah. that comes back together.
1: Yeah, we tend to, to break off, write our own little episodes, yeah. and then check back in, and there's usually a round
2: of edits after that. Mm-hmm. We actually have formalized yeah. that. We going yeah. into season two, it was kind of like we didn't I don't think we realized how big the project had gotten going into season two. Coming yeah. out of it, we're a little more aware of that and have have formalized a more specific review period, who reviews what and all of that.
1: I have a question for Lee, actually. When was the point where you realized how big this stuff had gotten?
2: <laughs> when I went on my website and I had to scroll through like four, four pages of actor bios.
1: Mine was when I did the giant, our oh, season two uh, casting call had something like 400 and something file entries. Yeah, column. something not, like that. Not that many people, but a lot of people submitted multiple things. And so we had yeah. a huge number. Of, oh my God. Um, uh, that's a lot of work. Um, what, keeps bringing, what keeps bringing you back?
2: It's fun. Everybody is so excited all the time. It's like I didn't I came in a little worried that I, I was like, okay, you have to be in this Discord with us that everybody was going to be just either come in just do scheduling and then go away and be angry about it, but they're coming together and talking about projects and making little side fan projects and it's amazing.
1: We live off of the creative energy of people around us. He won't say it but but Lee has been huge in fostering like mm-hmm. a really loving space in our uh, in our Discord yeah. and where we encourage people and when people do good work, they get praise because people we've, we've just made a space where that is the norm. And what that's done is fostered a real positive feedback loop where somebody Mm -hmm. will post something or just say something or say, Hey, look at this. And everybody else will jump in and say, Hey, that's great. And then we'll do things like, um, you know, we, we've we've, various points have posted, you know, musical lyrics and stuff. And then within an hour or two, somebody will have grabbed their cigar box guitar and just (laughs) posted into the, the chat, them singing the thing that we just wrote. And it's like, Holy crap! What do we do here? And that makes that just makes you want to go back in and do more, mm-hmm. you know. Let's talk
0: about the first episode a little bit. You do something really clever. You reinterpret the tropes of the old west and cattle rustlers and so forth, and you put them in space. And I, it's actually rather clever, I think. <laughs> you know, for example, uh, I love this. It's one of my favorite puns ever. Um, the the cowboys that go out and in their spaceships to to lasso these asteroids are called the vac-eros, as in short for vacuum cowboys right um, yep. and you've got broncos which is an acronym uh it is a we-
2: tortured acronym i'm so <laughs> sad about it but i needed it so
1: that's that's how you know you're listening to a lee episode is when
0: you get <laughs> to
2: that back. first
1: tortured ac- acronym <laughs> <Yep>.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: but the asteroids are, are, are broncos and so you go out and you catch the broncos you, you strap the asteroid to your ship and, and then there's rustlers that come in so I, I think that's really clever
3: throw the poor lassos increase another rate she's gonna slip I've got to ease off do that and the slingshot will crush us hold the lasso can't take the strain hold damn it Bronco fourteen secure. <laughs> I told you, kid. Once you got them on the line, you can't back down, or they'll take you and the whole ship with you. Gotta go all in and make them behave. Once you do that, they'll follow along after you, sweet as you please. D- tell me about how you
0: started putting this this together, taking Western ideas and putting them in space.
2: I was really nervous about writing something. That I've never written a Western before. This is my first Western anything. Um, So I I wanted to pick something that was very, very clearly a Western story with with specific story beats and specific things so I could check myself and make sure I was hitting those story beats. It's also once you get that whole, I want to write an old tired cowboy, there's a very specific voice that comes with that. And it kind of made the story be what it was going to be just by the voice of that character.
0: It's a classic Western trope. It's the old timer who's been out on the in the space or out on the plains or roping broncos for forever with a greenhorn who's just freshly there and the two of them you know he's got to show him the ropes and i think that's a really smart beginning because it allows you to have someone who is ignorant of the world that you can then have someone who is wise explain to the character but then you're also explaining it to the audience at the same time
3: look at me sitting here talking your ear off getting old too much time I moan between stars, start to forget how to be around other people. Where are you from, anyway? Can't place the accent. Terminal station. Damn. And here I am talking about lonely. The population's up out there. Since the Eris project started, terraforming rigs got a full crew.
1: They come into Terminal on leave, and the Pluto and Charon bubbles are expanding.
3: (laughs) Right, right. Sounds like a regular crowd. So what brings you this far in system? Saturn's a fair flight from Terminal. The Drive. Looking for work. Awful long way to come just for a job. Come on, kid. Humor an old-timer. If you got a story, let me hear it. We all got stories. Herschel
0: is the old-timer who's teaching ants the ropes about how to capture Bronco asteroids. As they go along, they are attacked by rustlers. You would build this nice feeling of isolation, right, which is typical of Westerns. You're being out of the middle of nature, or in this case, out in the middle of space. And there is no help. You know, when the when the wrestlers come, our heroes are, have to rely on themselves to get out of their troubles. Tell me about why you wanted to tell this story as the first episode of your anthology.
2: Um, I put a lot, well, I think we all put a lot of thought into the order of episodes. This one specifically shows a fair amount of the breadth of the world. You get a fairly fairly good sense for what people are like, what the technology is like. And it's also a very, very grounded Western story. So you come in right off the bat knowing you're going to get space, you're going to get Westerns, and people are going to die. And those three things show up in this first episode so you can kind of set your expectations for the rest of the show. There's a
1: handful that were like, these are all possible first episodes mm-hmm. uh, from the first season. We we, we knew ones were obviously going to be back half of the season and some stuff mm-hmm. that was thinking, well, which one's going to be first? And the, the obvious choice
2: really came out to be Good Night, You Moonlight Ladies mm-hmm. because it is such a tone center. I was a little concerned about that as the first episode, honestly, because I, I, it's a good episode. I love it. And the actors did an amazing job. But I don't think it's the strongest episode in the first season. I was worried about leading in with that, but it's it's it does set everything up, and you don't yeah. have the wrong idea.
1: Yeah, it makes all of the right promises. that yeah. every you know all the things that show up in Good Night You Moonlight Ladies show up later in various other forms. Mm-hmm. and then we can um, break yeah. the
2: rules after. And then, set yeah, yeah.
1: set the rules and then break them.
2: Yeah,
0: I I pulled something off your website which I thought was really interesting. Uh, BSFF strives to involve people from as many different locations, backgrounds, and identities as possible. We prioritize telling inclusive stories featuring the people which those stories are about, including people of minority genders and sexualities. First of all, tell me, why is that something that you wanted to focus on particularly with this show? And then is that something that you wanted to explore in this first
1: episode? As the only straight white guy on the entire uh, writing (laughs) staff, I feel like I am qualified to talk about
2: (laughs) Having been around the voice acting space a little bit, there's a... (laughs) A lot leans toward casting female voice, male voice, and I hate that so much because it mm. comes with this loaded set of assumptions. That it took me, it took us, we all, I worked up a lot to find out the way to say it that was do the part that works for you. Because I want to see those voices represented. I want to see someone come in and hear a mom have a voice they don't expect a mom to have. I, it's really important to me because it's just not there enough. And I don't think the first episode really does that. The first episode is is cast pretty straight along the lines. Uh, Just kind of by by fate, it it didn't really. But I I call it gender-blind casting. Really, the way we cast is if you are comfortable using these pronouns, then you can audition for that role. With the caveat that if you're auditioning for a role that specifically indicates it's for a trans or non-binary actor, you need to be trans or non-binary to audition for that, please.
0: What is your approach to building the world since you've got a book full of stuff and you've got all these locations that you've created?
2: So there is actually... Coming into the show, we wrote a list of standard. Here are the principles that this show is based on. Yeah. And they're mostly just about tech level and like what actually exists. So there is that frame going into anything.
1: The, the, the greatest advice I could give anybody about world building and narrative is to have answers for lots of the questions, but don't say them.
2: Can yes. You? My big advice is always trust your reader or trust your listener. And I, I, I give that a lot in our, my, my fiction writing group. Because it's, it's natural to want to explain it, to want to, but your readers are smart. Treat your readers, treat your audience like they're smart. And it's, it's so much better to, to mention less than they could possibly want. You know, give them just enough to
1: evoke the ideas that you want and let them fill in all of the details.
0: What do each of you struggle with, artistically
1: or personally? The lesson that was hardest for me to learn in writing was when to throw something away. <laughs> that, the, the idea of killing your darlings uh, took me a long, long time to learn. You're going to toil away at something for a long time. And then at the end of the day, it may just not be any good. Yeah. It sucks. And it's a hard thing to learn. But every time that I've made that hard decision and said, no, I'm done. This this isn't working. I have to go back to the blank page has been better. There was a point in writing of season two where I had, I think, 4,000 words of a oh. script written. That's oh. all. That's an entire episode, but it wasn't done. And I went, this isn't right. This doesn't fit the genre. The characterization's not good. I don't, I can't salvage any of this. And I just started over from a blank page and that's the best
2: episode of season two that I did. Lee, what do you struggle with? I am not always super confident in what I'm creating. Half the time I'm, this is great. This is fantastic. And half the time I'm like, this is absolute shit. No one's going to want to do this. and I really would like to balance that out a little bit. Um, it's hard to not want to, like, I don't want to be praise seeking about work, but also I think that it, it would be helpful if I were actually a little more praise seeking mm-hmm. in that just build my confidence a little bit, which is annoying because I'm confident in everybody else's work and I will ramp them up forever. And I know the show's amazing, just not my parts, which is silly. How do you measure success?
1: If one person can tell me that such and such episode or, or the show as a whole made them cry or broke their heart, <laughs> I know these are all sad, but or if it, <laughs> or if it made them uh, feel uh, happy or that they love a character or they love something part of the world, any one of those things, once we cross that threshold, I think we're a success. Um, and other than that, it's just, can we be proud of the thing that we're making? Are we putting out something that we, that I look at and go, yes, I'm proud that that was, that I had a partner. And so far on those two measures, we're, we're blowing it off, the, blowing the doors off the place.
2: I'm realizing I actually value uh, cast feedback a lot more than, I mean, obviously you want to, but I didn't realize how much, how important, how successful it makes me feel when the cast is excited to be involved in the project. And. Looking for ways to come back and the people that have come back for multiple seasons or multiple projects, that actually is what makes me feel really successful that I've made a space where people want to return to. That's mm, really yeah. nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. just the fact that everybody seems to like working with us. Yeah that
2: it means a lot so cool. means
1: so much.
3: <laughs> He's calming us again Let me hear it.
0: It seems you intend to make this more difficult than it needs to be.
2: I assure you that we intend for no harm to come to you. We are murderers. Simply resourceful individuals who noticed an empty niche in the capitalist life cycle of the system and occupied it. And really, what will you lose? A few days' work and some time? Is that really worth the potential risk to your life and ship? The deeper you go into the ring, the harder it will be to navigate safely, and the more likely you'll lose far more than just your string.
3: Thanks for the concern, friend. You could always just take off and let us fly out of here. If you want to be sure we're safe and all. (laughs) Uh,
0: I think you understand. My concern has limits.
3: Hard to believe you have our best interests at heart.
2: The scanners are showing your hole's is getting a bit battered. Seems you might not be dodging the rocks as well as you'd like.
3: We're fine. Thanks. You do have a plan, right? Yeah, I do. But you ain't gonna like it.
0: There's a cleverness in Breathing Space, Fading Frontier's reimagining of the open prairie of the West for the vast emptiness between our planets. And there's a rich setting to be mined as well. But this show's strength lies in its personal stories of found family and the love and connection needed to survive the cold of space. You can listen to Breathing Space, Fading Frontier on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes
1: at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.